Welcome to GoTo Gal, episode number 178. As always, I'm your host, Jacqueline Malone, but I probably don't sound as good as I normally do. My microphone broke. I know, I can't believe it. So I'm recording this intro for you today on my AirPods Pro Pods. But rest assured, this whole interview is done with my mic and normal, great sound quality. So you only got a couple minutes. I'll make this intro super short. Only got a couple minutes of this subpar audio, and then we'll we'll get to it with the real mic. And thank you, Amazon, for getting me the new mic, hopefully very, very soon. Okay. So today we are joined by Emily King. Emily is going to Emily and I together, really, we dive into all things money, money blocks. We're going to talk about how to find these hidden money blocks. One thing I want to be really upfront about is money blocks are not exclusive to people that don't have money or or the people that have maybe really big money problems. Sometimes you think, you know what? I got money in the bank. I'm saving or I'm making a lot of money, but you don't realize that there could still be a money block there. And Emily is going to share some of hers and I'll share some of mine of different things that are, have been happening or happened in the past that you may or may not relate to. But regardless, Emily is going to break down how to find your hidden money blocks, fun strategies for how to dismantle them, and really how to look at this, approach it with curiosity because at all different stages of business and in all different stages of maybe our relationship with money, you can come up against these money blocks. So I'm really excited for you to just go a little bit deeper on this journey, see what might be holding you back. Emily's also going to talk to us about money personalities, what that means and how that can help you. We'll talk about the key to working with that money personality or money archetype. Oh, what else do we talk about? Tricks to reframing your taxes, unexpected bills. We cover a lot. I wanted to keep this intro short and sweet, especially since the audio quality isn't that good. Again, the interview itself is all done with my regular mic. So hang on just a hot minute. I want to officially introduce you to Emily and then we'll get to it. Emily King is a wealth and abundance coach for entrepreneurial women and the founder of the Rich Woman Signature Coaching Program. Since 2015, she's worked with hundreds of women to help them create a loving relationship with money so that they can massively increase their income and impact. Armed with an MBA and certifications as an NLP practitioner, timeline therapist, and Pilates instructor, yes, all of those things. Emily brings the perfect mix of manifesting woo and business chops to the table to help women across the world live their best rich woman lives, a life of financial freedom, fulfillment, and fun. All right, let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Emily. Emily, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. All right. Before we dive into you and all that you're up to now, take us back to when you were growing up. What were you the go-to gal for back then? I was the go-to gal for any adventure and (laughs) money-making opportunity even back then. Like I sold pieces of my hair to make money. I sound like a child orphan. Yeah, I swear. I swear. (laughs) How does that work? Okay. We need need to (laughs) stars on this. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) 
so when I was, so my hair is red, like this auburn kind of unique color. It's gotten a little darker over the years, but when I was a kid, it was this really unique color. And so when I was six years old, I had really long hair. So I'm like, I got lots to spare. And I was at a family party with like the relatives that you never see and that kind of stuff. And so one of them came up to me and he was like, I really love the color of your hair. It's so beautiful. And I was like, well, I'll sell you a piece for a dollar if you like. And he, he said, yes. So kind of weird, but also weird for me to ask. And then I went around the whole party asking other people if they wanted a piece of my hair. And I made like five bucks that night. So like people took the opportunity. I like just cut little chunks of my hair and put it in a bag and gave him a bag of my hair. Well, all the props for, you know, being innovative. Right? <laughs> or I don't even know how you <laughs> categorize it. Did you get in trouble for cutting your hair? No, my, my parents were like, good on you. I was such like a little rebellious, like, you can't tell me what to do kind of kid. And I'm the third child, like the last child of my siblings. And so they were just like, oh, Emily, what's she doing now? Oh. Yeah, I loved it. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, you actually remind me of something that I don't think I've shared on the podcast yet before. I've talked about it online, but I'm like, maybe I never talked about this on the podcast. I don't know. So what I thought you were going to say is that like you actually sold your hair, like the people who like, no. buy hair <laughs> pieces. Well, <laughs> a year ago, last April, I have bangs and yeah. like I have to get my bangs trimmed like every two weeks. And so when COVID hit, like, mm what am I going to do? And I'm like, I am not qualified to cut my own bangs. And my cousin who does my hair is like, don't even YouTube it. And I'm like, I don't know. They're getting in my eyes. Like I need something. And she was the one that was like, well, why don't you get some headbands? And so I think she was just thinking like, oh, I'll just enjoy wearing a headband and can sweep the bangs to the side. And I'm like trying to like shove the bangs back in the headband and that doesn't work. And so then when I'm on Amazon looking for stuff, I don't even know what compelled me, but I'm like, I wonder if I could buy fake bangs. I searched this on Amazon and this like bang hair piece comes up for $14.99. So I'm like, I'm all in on this. And and it was real hair. I didn't ask where it came from. That's where I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought that maybe it was coming from a, a little girl. <laughs> And so that I ordered this piece, put it in, and I got so lucky that it was like the exact color of my hair. Wow. And this bang piece hair is way less finicky than my own hair. And then I wore that all through COVID because I was barely even getting my hair cut. And now I actually am back to getting my hair done every six weeks. And I actually grew my bangs out and I still wear the bang piece because it's so much better. What? So I'm looking at <laughs> fake bangs right now. Oh yeah. These are fake bangs. <gasps> I don't even have no way. <laughs> Wow. It's not real. I mean, I've been talking about it, but I'm like, I don't know if I've mentioned that on the podcast because people don't see me. It doesn't come up in conversation. And you talking about selling your hair. I'm like, oh yeah, like I bought somebody's hair. Like I, I paid $14.99 for that. I actually have like four or five of them now. And oh yeah, my I just God. grew out my bangs and I'm like, these bangs are so, they don't like curl up because my hair is a little baby. Yeah. So I'm just, I wish that I could like permanently like glue them in there, but it's just yeah. like clip on. So it works. I feel like I need to tell my best friend about this because she has bangs and they're always like sticking to, and if it gets hot in the summer, then they stick to your oh, forehead. And, yes. Yeah. The and like humidity oh, yeah. and yeah, they just have a mind of their own. So you're good now. Yes. Okay. Well, now that we are wildly off topic, <laughs> that needed to be said. All right. Yes. Now that that's out there that I have, I have big bang. If you didn't know, now you know. Oh, uh, and who knew? And this is a new side hustle. People could be selling their hair. Right. Um, okay. So fast forward to today. Yes. Tell us what do you do and who do you help? 
What I do is I do wealth and abundance coaching for women entrepreneurs. So I help women who either have started a business and are getting going, or they're at the point where they're already like running a very successful business, but they want to overcome their money blocks and, and get a really powerful mindset so that they can bring more ease into their business and more money and more clients and all the feel goods. So that's what I do. That's my jam. I love that that's your jam. And I'm like, how does this tie in? You know what? It's maybe a source for resourcefulness with money there. It doesn't always tie in, but well, yeah, it's like outside the box, right? Well, yeah, like some blocks are like, I can't do that because, you know, no one will buy that or who will pay for that. It's like, well, people paid a dollar for a piece of my hair when I was a kid. And like, you're paying 15 bucks for fake bangs. So like, <laughs> there's yeah, a market. there's a market for everything. <laughs> Oh, there really is. Okay. So when it comes to money blocks, is this something that you struggled with? Maybe not in the hair selling days, but Mm -hmm. did you, do you feel like you had money blocks? How did you get into that? I remember feeling like somebody had kept a secret from me for my whole life and then found out about it at what? I was probably 24. And I was like, what? Like, I never knew money blocks was a thing. So for anyone listening that doesn't know, money blocks are any limiting beliefs that we have about money that block it from coming into our lives. So I never knew this was a thing until my mid-20s. And I was like, oh, this is a thing that no one's told me about it. Cause for sure I had big money blocks going on. I was a money hoarder. Like you would not believe. I, I think I had like $10,000 in my bank account when I was in high school, like something ridiculous. Like while, whilst everyone was off, like going to the movies or like getting the cutest little shoes or whatever, I'm like, how much money can I save? So I had a big money block of if you spend it, it's gone forever and you have to work so hard to make it. Mm-hmm. And also this block of. It's not that I grew up poor, but I had a weird upbringing when it came to money. Like I didn't know where we kind of sat with money because we grew up on a really great street, which was like a rich street, but yet we drove like 15 year old cars and had orange carpet in the house. It was like a little mixed match of where do we sit in this like poverty to abundance scale, mom and dad. And like they would mix 2% milk with powder milk because it was cheaper than buying 1% milk. Like it was some weird stuff that went on. So I always felt this separation from quote unquote, like rich people where they were like these esteemed people who were so much better than me. And oh my God, what it would be like to be rich. Cause I had some friends who had like cabins and they would go to Florida every year to Disney world, like all the things. And I was at home, like, oh, I've never been to Florida and my parents won't take me to Disney world. So for sure, all of us have money blocks. And when you get opened up to this world, it's kind of mind blowing and really exciting because then you can start to become aware of them and then overcome them and be like, well, that's not true. And if I overcame that, then I could feel a hell of a lot better about what I'm doing and all sorts of things. It's like this whole amazing new world. Yes. Okay. And I love that your first example with this of how it affected you, because it wasn't that you were blocking, you were making money right? You had money coming in from some, you had it saved, maybe you're blocking more from coming in. But sometimes we look at the evidence of, well, I have a business, I have money coming in, so it must not be a money block or something like that, Mm. where there's nuance to it, right? So how do we even go about determining that we have a money block? Yeah. So I, I guess it's a big grasp, but what's the, like, like, what's that first step of like, do I have money blocks? How do I know? Yeah. So I guess the easiest 
thing to ask oneself would be what doesn't feel good around money? And so that's like the simplest way to put it. So it might be like, you know, paying my bills doesn't feel good. Or when I spend money, it doesn't feel good because it feels like I'm broke again. Or maybe for other people, that would be the complete opposite where they're spending all the time. And they're like, you know, what doesn't feel good around my money is looking at the $0 balance in my bank account every time I open it up. So starting with what just doesn't feel good and like that be your starting point. I don't like paying my bills. Okay, perfect. There we go. There's a money block that we have right there. I don't like paying bills. So it could just be because here's something really practical to give your audience is think of money as an actual person that you have a relationship with. So like if you have a husband or a partner or a wife, or whatever it is, think of them like a romantic partner in your life that you're wanting to build like the most romantic, incredible, infatuated relationship ever. And where do you stand in that relationship now? Is it one of love, hate? Is it neglect? Is it you don't trust it at all? Right? Because a lot of people don't have a lot of trust with money either. And in kind of personifying money, then you can ask yourself, okay, what would I like to be different about this relationship? And a good place to kind of see what you value in relationships is to take an actual human person that you have a great relationship with, could be your mother or best friend or a partner or whatever, and say, okay, in that relationship, what do I really value and what feels really good in this relationship? So it might be that I have so much fun with them and they're always there for me and we go on so many fun adventures. Okay, you and money, do you have so much fun with it? Do you trust it? Do you go on fun adventures with it? And if the answer is no, 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 well, then we know that there's a gap there and a place for improvement. Ooh, okay. That is such a fun exercise. (laughs) I've always loved that concept of personifying money because it does... I think pull those things up to the surface of like, okay, when we start doing that, you start to see, oh, okay, this is where maybe the relationship doesn't look good. But the idea of being able to take a relationship that is really good in our lives and Mm -hmm. use that as a mirror for how we want that money to look, that's so creative and that puts a different spin on things. So let's say we do that and it's like, okay, there's, there's trust, there's fun, there's love. There's, yeah. Like, how do we, how do we go about building that relationship with money that is not an actual person? What does that, <laughs> yeah. what does that look like? So for me, coming from the money hoarding background, I, I know that my tendency is to not have fun with money. Because it's just like, let's just keep it all because who knows, like you might need it for that rainy day or, or, you know. So I did this exercise myself last year. And when I was looking at my relationship with my husband, it was like, oh my God, like we do have so much fun. And he's so silly. And, you know, I can just have so much laughter and all that kind of stuff with him. And then when I looked at money, it was like, okay, well, the quality of fun and silly and laughter. Have you been having that with money? I was like, "Mm, nope. So it was, it was quite simply just how can I invite more fun into my life with money? So it could be just as simple as something like, girl, like buy herself a new lipstick or something like spice, spice up your makeup, you know, for tomorrow, or like the headbands, you and I both got the headbands. I'm like, go like splurge on something that maybe you wouldn't because you've told yourself like, oh, I can't have that. Or that's a waste of money or, you know, really putting a lot of judgment on what you're spending your money on. So for me, it was taking off one, the judgment on what I could and couldn't have Two, realizing that in spending money and having fun with it, it was actually getting me into an abundant, 
feel good energy with it, which then from the law of attraction point of view brings more of it. So the irony is, in at least my case, having the money hoarder kind of background and overcoming it is that when I spend, I actually make more, which might be true for some people. It might be completely opposite for others where they're like, when I spend, I got no nothing left. (laughs) But for me, when I spend, it gets me back into fun. It gets me back into trust. It gets me back into believing in abundance. And then sure enough, a new client signs up or I get a new business idea and the rest is history. Oh, that's so good. Okay. I want to back it up for a minute though, because I'm like, okay, that was too good to not ask. I'm like, okay, this is such a good exercise. Let's, let's take it one step further. Yes. But I want to go back to like, okay, how are we determining what our money blocks are, how they show up? Cause it is different for everyone. And I know that you have some archetypes that you work yeah. with that help us figure out what that is. So what does it mean to have a money archetype or money personality? So just like us as humans have personalities, you know, be it Myers-Briggs or, you know, Enneagram or whatever it might be, we have our own money personalities. So there's eight money personalities that that are called sacred money archetypes. And essentially they're kind of bulked into those of us that love to spend our money and really indulge and love what money can give us. There's those of us that love to hoard it. Like I was talking about earlier myself, there's those of us that don't really care at all about it and kind of wish it didn't exist. But good news is have a trust with it where they just know it's it's going to be there. Somehow it magically appears, whether it be through their partner's work or what have you. Oh yeah. And then there's the personality type that is very risky, like high risk, high reward. And I'm also very risky with my money. Ironically enough, because coming from the money hoarder, I also love big risk, big rewards. So that's why something like real estate investments work really well for me because it's not like a $10 thing that you're buying. It's like a $300,000 thing that you're investing in. But it's very exciting to me because I see the potential and I see the opportunity to make more money, which goes along well with my accumulator personality that loves to have money. (laughs) So yeah, that's the kind of categories. And then in those personality traits, There's certain blocks that will be more prevalent for certain archetypes than others. Oh, I forgot to mention as well. There's the, there's the archetypes that are the more nurturer. So it's the person that people come to for money or, you know, it's the person that tends to give the discounts because they feel bad, all that kind of stuff. So a nurturer, for example, might have the blocks of, I feel bad for charging, or if I have a gift, I have to do it for free, you know? So that's not uncommon. The you know, the connector or alchemist. So the alchemist is someone who has like a million ideas a day. Their challenge is to follow through on it to actually make money from it. But an alchemist living in their shadow, if you will, doesn't like that because they see money as like a necessary evil. So they might have the good old classic block of like money is the root of all evil, you know? And why do we need this money thing? Like money just meddles. Money is greedy. Money is selfish, right? So each personality is going to have perhaps money blocks that are going to be stronger for them than others. Yeah. I love all the personality assessments. <laughs> give me, give me a, a BuzzFeed quiz, like a formal right? assessment. I'm here for all of it. And, and so I'm like, okay, I'm all over this. I'm a ruler mm-hmm. when I did this assessment, but my very close second is romantic. Mm. But it's funny. My accumulator is my lowest one. <laughs> 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 like that probably says something. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love like romantic just as much from our from our top ones as from our bottom ones probably yes right? yes and it's so helpful to know like if you have a partner in your life it's so helpful to know theirs as well because my husband and I we have complete opposites so when I did it and when he did the quiz it was like oh my god things make sense now because this is a true story last year just before COVID hit we were in Maui and my real estate agent writes me we had viewed a house a couple months prior that didn't work out or whatever. Anyways, they ended up lowering the price. So my real estate agent writes me while I'm in vacation in Maui. And he says, Hey, they just lowered the price to something more like you were looking for. Did you want to put an offer in? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's put an offer in. My husband's out golfing. He texts me. He's like, why am I getting a text message from Patty? Like our real estate agent saying that, you know, to sign a contract because we're buying a house. (laughs) I was like, Oh, don't you worry about that. He's like, I'm out golfing. Like, and you're buying a house. Like, What's happening? Like that's the maverick in me. So my maverick is my top one. That's the risk reward thing. Whereas maverick is bottom for him. So this would be like the last thing he would ever do. Like he needs the facts. He needs the reassurance of like, this is going to work out. Right. So it was too funny. I I still have a screenshot of that text message to this day because it was just such a funny story. But romantics really intrigued me because coming from the accumulator that loves to save and romantics love to spend a classic romantic saying is I deserve it where they're just like, (laughs) Oh, like get the bottle of sh- like I deserve the bottle of champagne like treat at yourself. dinner like yeah treat yourself kind of thing exactly yeah <laughs> makes sense <laughs> and so the accumulator and oh. you would be like no do not treat yourself save that money put that away you know oh, oh I love that literally yeah. oh Chris my husband we just had his birthday and I forget what it was but there was something and he was like oh well let's not let's not do that and I was like it's your birthday like what I remember and he was like no like I just really don't want to do it I'm like well, say that then like don't make it about the money yeah like, I feel like it was easier for him to rationalize like oh well we don't need to spend the money on that thing yeah than to say I just don't want it right or like that's not really yeah. what my priority is and I that's an interesting little nuance of getting really clear on what we want and what we don't want and owning the real truth behind it and what is our priority or not our priority or I don't there's yeah. a lot of context there but that was just a, a conversation that happened this week that I thought was really interesting I'm like well just say it if you don't want to spend the money on it but yeah. not that it's not because we could spend the money on it it's just yeah. not the priority right yeah he didn't want it for his birthday <laughs> exactly exactly I'm like well even I don't even remember what it was but it was it was something okay so When I think about personality assessments, it's typically learning about yourself with the outcome of maybe self-acceptance. And then maybe I think about with Enneagram, they give you that scale of like, this is what an unhealthy, I'm a seven. It's like, this is what an unhealthy seven looks like. This is what a Mm -hmm. healthy seven looks like and all of that. How would you describe these type of archetypes? Is that like, if if I'm a ruler, am I always a ruler? Does that Mm -hmm. change? Is there that scale there? Like, how do we look at this? Yeah, good question. So it can actually, I was on a clubhouse talk earlier. We were chatting about this, like the sacred money archetypes coaches, because the jury's still out on it. If you're, if your personality, like archetype can change. But here's what I will say is that from my own experience and from working with like, she's probably over a hundred clients with the archetype stuff is that your score may shift. Like I'm, I'm always going to be a maverick. I know that. And I'm always going to have that accumulator in me and the ruler. Like they're my top three, but they might just shift slightly. So I, and maverick might be a top score for me. And maybe it'll shift down to number two. Maybe ruler will shift up to number one. But once you kind of know your money archetype, it does typically stay 
as is with a little shift here or there, depending on how much you've worked on it. And maybe even just the day that you're taking the quiz, maybe you're like, yeah, whatever, let's just strongly agree. And then you take the quiz a year later, you're like, yeah, I'm a neutral on that one. You know, it could just, it could just be the day and your honesty with the quiz. But I would say, generally speaking, once you're kind of locked into those archetypes, that's your that's your archetype that you can lean into to get your guidance. Because like you said, it's kind of like the strength here is when you're really in your power with this. And then when you're in your not so much in your power in the shadow side of it or the challenge side of it. So same goes for archetypes. Ooh, okay. Elaborate on that a little bit more. So this is good because it's not you were telling the story about being an, an accumulator mm-hmm. when you were younger. And it wasn't about you going the polar opposite and not being an accumulator, right? Mm-hmm. It was about maybe you being more of a, a healthy accumulator. Yes. So what does that look like? How do we use our archetype for guidance to, I guess, are we exploring the shadows or what do we do with the shadows? And then how do we get into the power? Like, how does this all work? Yes. So I'll use, actually, you're a great example with the the ruler. So I'm also a ruler and I don't know about you, but if I'm living in the shadow side of it, it's the classic, like, I'm not stopping to smell the roses. I get the goal and then I'm like, next thing. And so the the number is such a motivating thing for me. And so it can be a very outcome driven way of doing business, which as we know, can take the fun out of it because it's, you know, it can be disappointing if you're always focused on the outcome and not really seeing the long-term journey that you're on. So knowing that... I mean, I hit like big goals, even last year during COVID and stuff, I hit some big goals in my business and I caught myself being like, okay, great. And then next, not celebrating that. Like actually even this weekend, I caught myself speaking for TEDx on Saturday and my sister-in-law asked me last week and she's like, so what are you doing to celebrate? And I was like, um nothing. (laughs) So knowing that that was my tendency to not celebrate, not really take the enjoyment in, I ordered myself some flowers yesterday that came to the house that said, I'm proud of you. Like my own little note to myself. I I blocked off Monday. So I don't have anything on Monday. So I can just like take the day just to relax and enjoy. I have a really amazing thing that I, that I love doing now. It's called my joy jar where I have this jar that sits on my nightstand and I have little pieces of paper cut up already for it. And every single night I write on the little sheet of paper, one joyful thing for my day. One thing that I'm really proud of that I did that day. And in doing that every time, I would say probably eight times out of 10, I'm shocked at how often I'm like, "Mm, nothing really like amazing happened today, but I like sit there for, you know, 30 seconds. I'm like, oh, wait, no. Like I remember last year before COVID hit, I just announced a retreat that I was hosting. And I remember that day I had signed on two clients to come to the retreat, or maybe it was three. Anyways, it was like a 10K day. I remember sitting at my joy jar being like, yeah, nothing really great happened today. you know. And then I was like, well, Emily, it was just a 10K day for you. Like, write that down, woman. So, so I write down these things, put them in the jar. And then at the end of the month, I review them. So I pull them all out I, and I keep them in, it, in my drawer afterwards. But I pull them all out and I read them. And every single time I'm like, wow, like Emily, do you realize the amazing things that you've done? Do you realize the people you've impacted, the growth that you've had? And if I didn't do this tool, I would totally just keep going and chugging along and be like, yeah, business is good, but like could be better or like there's much more growth to go, that kind of stuff. So that's helped me big time with the ruler archetype. And for example, you being romantic, that's not one of my top ones, but Romantics, if, if they're living in their shadow side, they tend to come back to zero in their bank account because saving, savings for romantics 
feels like being told you can never eat chocolate or candy or any of the good stuff ever. <laughs> it's like saving is like the most boring thing ever for romantics. Like, what do you mean? Just let the money sit in my bank account and do nothing? Like, <laughs> you kidding me? So for romantics, the challenge is finding the fun in savings and find and and not having savings being like this deprivation thing of like you can't have this or whatever. But coming back to what your story earlier about your husband being like, no, I just don't want that thing. So really getting intentional about what am I choosing to buy versus sometimes romantics and even celebrities can be in this almost like addictive habit of the retail therapy where they end up with like a pile of stuff and they're like, I don't even want half that stuff. Or like, what did I do? So getting much more mindful and intentional about your spending and your savings goals and like the long-term impact of that of like, you know what, if I do save my money and, you know, save up 10 grand or 20 grand or whatever it might be, that's going to give me a down payment for whatever it is. So that's going to give me the glamorous holiday that I want or whatever it might be for the romantic. So yeah, there's so much learning with the challenge side of things. Yes. No. And I appreciate you bringing that up. And it's so true. And oh my gosh, I am very susceptible to the retail therapy, especially <laughs> probably when I'm like, okay, it's the romantic and also combined with I have ADHD. So it's like such a dopamine hit. Yes. Whether, right. Like it used to be back. I don't even know. Back when I was like working at jobs, I would like be bored at my job and go shopping during lunch. For that, <laughs> like, 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 oh, go to Marshall's and get, you know, even if it's just like a new journal or something. Yeah. But I definitely caught myself with that over quarantine with online shopping because it mm-hmm. is, you know, a dopamine head and it gives you then it plays into my romantic. Yes. So that I, I appreciate you saying that because what I've done in terms of getting better at savings is systems and automation. Mm. It just happens and then let's think <laughs> about it and, and getting that in place. But there are some big things that my husband and I want to save up for. Mm-hmm. And I think trying to find ways to make it more fun and maybe celebrate the milestones of the savings. Like when you said fun and savings, I'm like, okay, I need to figure this out because yes. fun is a priority for me. It's a core value. Mm-hmm. And, and so is saving when it comes to, to achieving these goals. So yeah. I love that. I'm like, okay, I can just automate it, but I'm like not even really thinking about it then. So it's happening, which is good. Yeah. But that's also probably not the best for a relationship if it's just, you know. Well, right? I like how yeah. you bring it up because that's a good point. That's a really good starting point for listeners learning is the easiest place for romantics to start is the automation. Because if you don't see it or know about it and it's already done, then it doesn't feel like deprivation. It's like there's an example of if you give a kid two chocolate chip cookies and you take one away, they're like, ah, you took away a cookie. Like they're freaking out. If you give a kid just one cookie and that's all they get, they're like happy as kid on Christmas. They're like, oh my God, I got a cookie, right? So the same thing with like romantics and money. If you just give the the one cookie or the $1 or the 100, whatever it is, they're happy. But if you were to give the 200 and say, okay, now go tuck away a hundred of that. They're like, what? Like, no, I want all of it, right? So the automation is really, really key for romantics. Yeah, but... What I was thinking for you, and this is where like your top three really come in hand or like kind of knowing those and how they gel together is you being a ruler. That's a really nice compliment to the romantic in the sense that rulers love numbers and are driven by the numbers and money, not in like a selfish, greedy way, but it's just like a fun thing for them. So yes, your savings is automated and that's all taken care of, but challenging yourself of like, well, if we're going to save, you know, five grand to the goal this month, what if in my business, I could do something that would actually bring in 10 grand and we'd go put that towards that. And so that takes our time frame from just making this up here now, like, you know, January that we get this thing to now we get it in November instead. So bringing in some of that ruler component into your savings goals to really make it fun will help you. 
Oh, I love that idea. I love that idea. And I just to, like for those of you who listen and you're like, Jacqueline, how are you a ruler? You're not motivated by money. Because I will say I, I'm not motivated by money. And this is not something that I have seen in myself. It's literally something that the old bosses of mine have noticed in me. Yeah. And, and there's just a disconnect in my brain sometimes of like, I don't know, in past jobs where it's like a commission oriented thing, I would put just as much energy into something that would bring in $200 as would bring in $20,000 or something like that. And so it's interesting in terms of how I play out. And I'm like, I think it's just a disconnect in my brain in terms of the motivation. But I do. I love setting big money goals. I have Mm -hmm. big money goals. And I love talking about money and strategy around it. And I think even thinking how I could apply that to savings would make it more fun for me. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how the ruler shows up. And I think I've embraced this other side of me where I'm like, I know that I have that disconnect. But I think if I leaned more into that ruler role too, Mm -hmm. it's not even because it's not about motivation. It's about operation. It's about how you handle yes. that strategy. So that's interesting. Yeah. You have, you definitely gave me some things to think about there. <laughs> Piqued your interest. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we have these archetypes. I think that's a really good starting point to, to get a handle on, on our different money personalities, how that might be showing up, whether it relates to the archetypes or not in terms of these self-sabotages. What else could or should we be doing to start exploring where those where we're self-sabotaging, where these money blocks mm-hmm. are coming up? Should we have like a list of money blocks? <laughs> are, yeah, there things, yeah. are there things or patterns that we should be looking for? Or is really our best bet to just like get that archetype and then use that as the guidance? Well, okay. If, if Let's just say archetypes didn't even exist. Well, okay. I should back up though and say, yes, knowing your archetype and diving into that is definitely a great starting point, but let's just say they didn't exist. Here's an exercise that I do is one would be writing out. It's like a fill in the blank. Money is blank. What? Like actually for you, money is what? What's the first thing, word that comes to mind? You know, it's funny. I, I Fun came to mind when you Yeah. <laughs> Good. Like, I don't know if that's because fun is just such a central theme in my life, but yeah. it is. Money equals fun for me. Perfect. Yeah. So having people journal or taking yourself with your journal and a pen and paper and just writing out prompts like money is what? And just like letting your pen flow. Money is freedom. Money is fun. And even exploring what limitations come up, if any. So like money is hard. I did this actually just yesterday. One of the clients said money is going out faster than it's coming in. I was like, Oh, interesting. And then exploring your prompt, like, if I am rich, that means dot, dot, dot. So that can bring up, I did this in a course that I offered a couple of years ago where I said, imagine that you're a millionaire and exploring like your thoughts and beliefs and perhaps even judgments around that. As a millionaire, I feel blank and like my family and friends feel blank. Or like strangers that know I'm a millionaire think blank and just feel like exploring that. So that's one place to start is exploring just, just some money journal prompts that kind of bring up under the surface what's going on for you. But then the most, I think, useful thing is just straight up looking at your goals. So let's just say you have a stretch goal of, I want to sign on five clients this month for my 10K package. Write it out. Perfect. Fantastic. Now go on a belief scale. On a belief scale from one to 10, 10 being like, oh my God, I know 100% I would bet my life on it. It's happening. How much do you believe it's going to happen? And if you're kind of below an eight, so seven and lower, start to explore, well, 
what would I have to believe in order for me to be a 10 out of 10? So that's going to expose to your money blocks. And so from there, so let's just say I do this exercise myself and I go, you know, I believe it on like a six out of 10, it can happen. Okay. So I got four points in the difference. Well, what would I have to believe in order to make that happen? Or, or what are the limitations that tell me that it can't happen? Well, I don't have a big enough email list, or I haven't been showing up enough lately for my audience, or people are going to think my prices are too high. Or like, I just get all of it out. And then from there, I cry it out and I rewrite something more empowering for myself. So I might say, you know, my email list isn't big enough. I cross that out and I, I would bring evidence, like actual evidence from my past to say, you know what, when my email list was 120 people, I sold out a course of 20 people and had a 20K launch. <laughs> like now you have like 20 times that list. So like, what's your excuse now? Right. So just like, I call it like going to court with your ego and you got to pretend that you are the world's best lawyer. Like when you enter the courtroom, people are like, hush, hush. So there's like, she entered the room. Oh my God. And you're up against your ego and your egos and the doubts are like, Oh, you can't do that. That'll never happen for you. And this probably comes up a lot in your field of work. You know, people stepping into their expert status, the go-to person, right? Well, who are you to be that? And then you show up to the courtroom. Like, let me tell you a little something here sir. <laughs> you know, and then what would you go off on them with in the courtroom? If you were standing there as a powerful woman that you are, what would you say? So this really brings to light, what are my limiting beliefs? What is the truth of the matter? And even if you're like having a really crappy day where you're like, I got nothing, like I'm not feeling powerful at all. Just start to shift it with like, you know what? I've had crappy days before, but I've also had really good days that have come after crappy days. So like, even though today I don't feel good, I know that tomorrow's a new day and tomorrow's a new opportunity. And let me just rest up and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and come back to this. Or like just finding the little gratitude of, you know what? I made a passive sale today of $27 on my funnel. So like, go Emily, you are awesome, right? Like (laughs) finding any little like baby step to get you closer to the belief. Yes. Back to that joy jar. Yes. <laughs> yes. Together. Yes. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm loving all of that. And I think this whole courtroom dynamic too just brings that layer of fun to it that, that is important to have some fun with ourselves, to shake things up, to get us to start thinking differently and to also make it maybe not feel as heavy if it feels heavy to you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay. So on the other question I think of is when something happens, yeah. <laughs> like I can say this in a broad sense and I'll give you the very specific reason of why I'm asking. So sometimes, so this is the like the we're going and we're exploring. We don't know what our money blocks are, but let's go out there and try to pull them up. Yeah. But I think the opposite of that is sometimes there are things that happen with money where it's like maybe there's unexpected bills or repairs or mm-hmm. whatever it is, things that happen, maybe yeah. losing a client or a chargeback or, you know, there's all these different things that can happen. And sometimes in those moments, it's like, okay, if we've been doing this work, it's like, is there a money block there? Is that a thing? Yeah. I ended up owing a lot more on taxes than I had, <laughs> than I had yeah. planned on. And that was a really unexpected bill. And so that was something where I'm like, okay, is there something here? I don't want to dwell on it. Like we can solve this, but also, you know, I, I tend to get into problem solving mode, but I think when those things happen, that could also be an opportunity to explore, but is it also, or, or maybe it's like, don't make this mean something. So both. do you have, yeah. Do you have a, what's your hands for that? A bit of both. It's kind of like, yeah. When people are, you know, come to me and they're like, Oh, this happened and it must mean that I'm not meant to do it. I'm like, 
well, no, it's just like, I don't know, your phone just died. I, whatever it is, like your phone died or I don't know. It doesn't mean that you're a terrible person. Or Like, for example, I had a client and she, I'm still working with her now. And she, she is doing amazing in her business. All this money's coming in. Things are feeling great. And she gets a brand new car and the very next day it gets damaged. Like somebody damages her car. And so she comes to our session and she's like, what does this mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not meant to have nice things. Like I got too big for myself, you know, too cocky, blah, blah, blah. This is the universe telling me to kind of sit back down and like, shut up kind of thing, you know? And I'm like, or just be like, your car got damaged and let's go get a fix and get insurance to pay for it. End the story, like, let's not make it something bigger than it needs to be, right? So I always go on the side of like, it doesn't really mean much besides the meaning that you're going to give it. Which brings me to my second point, which is when things happen like that. So in your case, funny, the same client actually today, I just got off a session with her. We were chatting about taxes. And she was saying how she wants to open a bank account and start to tuck money aside for her taxes and that kind of stuff. And she says, you know, I really hope that I have a $50,000 tax bill next year. And I'm like, yes, that's the mindset. Because oh, if you... Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay, reading this down. I love it. <laughs> because if you have a $50,000 tax bill, guess what? That means you probably did like a really good year, right? So she's excited about a big tax bill. So in your case, I know in the moment, like it's not the most fun thing to be told, hey, we told you your tax bill was on a 10,000 is actually 20,000 surprise. So like have your moment to be like, this sucks. Okay, let me get the money for that. But then on the flip side of that, have that moment to be like, okay, what else could this mean besides I now have money to give out? This means I did better than I thought. (laughs) This means that my business took off and like I owe the government more than I thought. And the last thing I want to say to this is don't evaluate too early. Meaning I had a client a few years ago and she had been working on her money mindset and overcoming this belief of one step forward, two steps back. She felt like just as soon as she got ahead, bam, like something came in to knock her down again. So she's self-employed. She runs her own business. And we had looked at the numbers and I was like, you can like be giving yourself a bigger salary than you are. And so she upped her salary. It's all good. And then that week she finds out that she needs $500 in car repairs. And so she sends me a message and she's all distraught. She's like, Oh my God, Emily, like, see, this is just what happens. Like, you know, now I got this car bill and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Like, first of all, you're zooming way too in and you're not evaluating the whole situation. Like you're evaluating way too early. Let's look at this differently. You just got a raise. Your car needs repairs. Let's just assume the car would have needed repairs anyways. Like, it's not like she got an accident. It was like something her car was like just breaking down. So now let's shift this into instead of one step forward, two steps back. Oh my God, look at the universe supporting me. Look, like I just increased my salary. Now I have more money than ever to support me with this bill. Like, thank you universe so much for supporting me with the extra financial abundance. And not only that, but coming back to the fun and the playfulness of it is like, Let's just say she didn't have that raise. Let's just say she had a $500 bill and was like in the woe is me kind of stage. Well, then shifting into, all right, universe, like, let's have some fun with this. Let's see what are all the possibilities for $500 and more to come into my life to pay this bill. And some people even have the money there. But this comes back to what I said earlier, like some people a block might be like, I hate paying bills. So for example, my dog was sick there a couple months ago, and we ended up paying out like $1,000 in vet bills. And I caught myself being like, Oh, this stupid vet bill, I got to pay a $1,000. And I was like, this is not going to help me attract more money into my life. So I took a moment just to shift into like into gratitude. One, the money is there for me to pay for this. Two, my dog is now healthy. Three, thank God I live somewhere where there are the professionals to help my dog with this. 
before, like, let me bless this bill. Let me give some gratitude to the, the vet that took such good care of my dog. You know, like, this is like my baby. And so I just shifted into the gratitude and like, it's not a big deal. I'm not like looking at my bank account every day and be like, where's that thousand dollars? You know, more is always on the way more is on the way and bless this bill. I'm writing that down. <laughs> yes. Blessing your bills. So good. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so bless okay. your tax bill. Bless that tax yes. and ask, You know what? And this is going to sound crazy and some people might get like, what? Ask for an even bigger tax bill next year. I wrote it down. I'm totally <laughs> asking for a bigger tax bill next year. This is yeah. happening. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm like, we could talk about this all day, but I know we need to wrap up. How can we stay in touch with you, Emily? Yeah. So come check me out at therichwoman.ca and there you can check out the money code, which is all about the money archetypes or right on my homepage there. There's some manifesting meditations that I have. Like you get three manifesting meditations there for free. So audience can check them out. They're really good. They're really good meditations. I got to say. And then on Instagram, I hang out there, Emily King Co. So yeah. And your audience like DM me. I'm not one of those like stuffy. I don't go in my DMs and like, you know, I'm in my DMs, like answering people like, Hey, do you want to come out for coffee today? Like, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, thank you so much. You definitely have inspired me today. And I'm excited to get this, to get this out into the world. Yay. Thank you. Can I just say thank you so much for listening? I don't think I say it enough, but I love that you are here. If you enjoyed today's episode or if you've been getting value from this podcast, would you do me a quick favor? Head on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. When you leave a rating and review, it basically tells iTunes that they need to spread the word and tell more people about this podcast. And I am on a mission to get the word out. I'm so grateful for your support. We want to make sure to shout you out too. So if you do leave a rating review, keep your eyes and ears open. We will be uh, either shouting out on the podcast or on Instagram stories. 